You ready? Let's do this. Everyone, uh, welcome back to the Brokawhole podcast show, which is an initiative of the Tracking and Evaluation Corps of the Oklahoma Shared Clinical and Translational Resources, also known as OSCTR. This is a podcast where we highlight the processes of clinical and translational researchers in Oklahoma and those who support them. And today on the podcast, I have the utmost pleasure of having one of our very own, Dr. Janice Campbell. She is a professor of epidemiology. She has nearly 30 years of experience conducting research and evaluation with health prevention and control programs. She does work in cancer health disparities and also working with American Indian tribes. She is a record of she has a record of CDC, NIH, and state-funded research. She also regularly teaches graduate courses in geographic information system in health, principles of epidemiology, and problems in biostatistics statistics and epidemiology. Today, she has been fortunate enough to work with over 75 motivated students. Of these, 22 of them have been successful doctoral students that have published their research findings and have been invited to present their findings at both national and international meetings. In total, her students have produced over 36 peer-reviewed articles for the six national presentations and seven international presentations. Dr. Campbell has collaborated on over 30 successful grants, cooperative agreements, and contracts. She's also the co-director of the Tracking and Evaluation Corps within the OSCCR. Everyone, please join us in welcoming Dr. Campbell to the podcast. Yay! <laughs> Thank you. It's really so nice to have you here, and thanks for being on the podcast. All right, let's get things first. Um, starting with the foundational questions, how and where did you grow up? Are you an Oki native? I am an Oki native. Mm-hmm. I have been here my whole life. Oh, wow. <laughs> what part of Oklahoma? Um, just outside of Oklahoma City, a suburb, Yukon. Yukon, okay. Yep. okay. Yep. Family still here? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I live just, well, my mother is getting ready to move into some apartments right behind my house. Oh. So, but right now, she's a couple of blocks, you know, a mile or so away. Yeah. Um, my son's very close. Uh, my brother lives. Um, just a few miles away as well. So, so growing up in Yukon, what was the child? How would you describe your childhood? Um, um, I would. How would I describe my childhood? Um, very suburban. Um, suburban. Very suburban. Mm-hmm. You know, grew up with with all, a lot of my relatives around. Maybe it wasn't as suburban as I think, but anyway, a lot of my relatives around. Grew up with a. All my, I have like 40 cousins, so I grew up with a lot of cousins. Oh, wow. That's, that's a healthy and bountiful family reunion. Yes. Uh, um, as a child, what was your dream? What did you want to do when you grew up? Or what kind of solutions did you want to, um, problems did you want to find solutions for as a kid? What kind of problems? Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I've always known that I liked science ever mm-hmm. since I was middle school. And we actually had a, real science class. So um, that was something I always wanted to do. But I, I, I have I struggled to, to do science just for science. I feel like we have to do science to help people mm. <laughs> and to make a difference in people's mm. lives. Um, I understand the value of science for science sake. But 
I really feel like I have to do something that's, that's going to be of some sort of greater good to this. Okay. For you, it was more of the transitional part of it. Like, how do you transition science mm-hmm. into actual impact? You're far, we're way ahead of your time. <laughs> now, let's talk a little bit about your journey and what sparked your interest in conducting research and evaluation in the field of health prevention and control. And was there like any personal experiences or connections that influenced that path? So, for me, it really wasn't one big sort of, yeah, really wasn't one big sort of um, aha moment. It was a bunch of little decisions that ended up sending me on a path that I, I had no expectation of going on, but uh, found that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and that was some things like, like I said before, when I was in school, I really liked science. Um, when, I, when I got into college, I discovered anthropology, which was science with people. So that was, that was fun. Um, and, and then I worked at the time as a graduate student doing research in uh, diabetes with Muscogee Creek Nation. Oh, and so I frankly needed a job. Which, you know, comes at some point have to get out of graduate school and get a job. So I got a job. Yeah. I uh, got a job at the state health department, which uh, turned out to be a huge blessing. I was hired to do planning and evaluation Mm -hmm. as an anthropologist for the the family planning and maternity programs. And the rest is sort of history. Yeah. Wow. How long were you at the state department for? I was at the health department for 17 years. Oh, wow. That's a career right there. Exactly. So how did you try to show from there to academia? Um, I was just, I was really lucky. They were looking for somebody who did chronic disease epidemiology. Um, I was the chronic disease epidemiologist for the state. Um, uh, for about 10 years, I ran the cancer registry and another uh, grant called REACH, which is racial and, uh, racial and ethnic approaches to community health. Um, so, yeah, academia. Yeah. Oh, academia. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, there really isn't okay a direct path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there really is. It was like little decisions that coalesced into that. Exactly. I think the moral of that story is that whatever you find to do, just do it well, because you, you never know where it's going to lead you next, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. So how long have you been in academia for? Uh, about seventeen years. Coincidentally, <laughs> <laughs> you had a very long career. Um, contrasting your experience with the health department and here, how what are some differences or similarities between those two paths? And which one is easier, relatively oh. speaking? <laughs> oink, oink. Yeah. Neither is easy. <laughs> I knew the answer to that question. Yeah. So neither is, is terribly easy. Mm. But I would say um, with the health department, you when you're doing planning and evaluation for a health department program, mm-hmm. you are um, you have a lot of influence on that program. Mm, I see. So you are the person that makes the decisions on how I'm going to measure the success of that program. How am I going to measure um, whether or not the program is effective, whether it's efficient, does it work? Um, you have that power in your hands. And so it's it's extremely More daunting. Yeah. And I imagine for someone like you that is all about the direct transition, <laughs> yeah. it was almost like leaving your dream job, even though there was a lot of risk associated with it. Yeah. Yep. Oh, thank you for that. Now, um, you're a professional and you teach, you know, graduate courses, which can be quite demanding. And also, female. how do you balance that? You know, what's that thing they always say, work-life balance or is it integration? <laughs> I'm not sure about the correct, you know, up-to-date term. And how do you also prioritize self-care amidst all of these, you know, things you have going on in the fire? Well, I would say I don't do it very well. <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I can't really I, know. I, can't I wish really. I did have that magic bullet. <laughs> There's a lot of us that it could help. Yeah. But I think, um, you know, COVID, I think COVID taught us all something different. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it taught me was, um, you know, through this sort of forced isolation, um, you know, it taught me I have to be more in tune with myself. Mm-hmm. And that I can do that <laughs> after being yeah. forced to for three months. Yeah. Um, so I think that it helps me. I don't think it helps everyone. Forced isolation. I like that. Maybe something we can practice more <laughs> often. Thinking, let me make a note to tell my chair about that. I need me some forced isolation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. I think, um, I mean, your response is very human. We all, we all try to be the best version of ourselves and prioritize our self-care. But if I'm, if I, I guess I'm similar to you in the sense that you have so much to do, and you want to do so much, and sometimes your self care just, you know, it's like the last thing on the list, even though it should be talking. But hey, um, let's talk about your research. You work with a very special population, um, the native population, and you've worked in addressing cancer health disparities in that population. I mean, I don't work with that population, but I do know how the difficulty in just building trust and getting things going. If I may just clarify this, are you a tribal member? No, I'm not. Okay. So maybe walk us through, what were the, what was the beginning like for you? When you think about reflexivity, like you're an outsider, but you mm-hmm. care about these, these issues. How did you break through that barrier? For those that might be listening, as to going into a space where you don't look like them, like somebody that might, like, might be interested in black studies, but they're not black, or maybe Hispanic studies, but they're not Hispanic. How are you able to, you know, penetrate into that community and what has it been like for you? Well, I think, first of all, I was raised in Oklahoma. So mm-hmm. I, I, I was raised uh, with uh, tribal populations uh, growing oh, okay. up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is something I knew uh, my best friend growing up would, would, we would go to power with, with her tribe. So this is something um, that I've, I've had a passion for for a very long time. Um, but I would say doing cancer epi sort of came about again it was a, another little decision that i decided to move to chronic disease uh from what something i absolutely loved which was you know maternity and family planning um but i moved to chronic disease and then took over the cancer registry and i really didn't have any idea of the disparities and mm-hmm. of I, I you know i knew that as when i moved over to chronic disease i learned that very quickly i learned mm-hmm. how prevalent cancer was and yeah. how how that's something that we can show some success in. Mm-hmm. We haven't we haven't done a great job so far, but we're we're starting to we're starting to see some impact. Thank you for that. Now, um, it's one thing to conduct research; it's another thing to do the evaluation part of it, especially in sensitive and vulnerable population like you work with. And this can also raise some ethical considerations and challenges, right? Now, how do you navigate these challenges and ensure that the well-being and the privacy of the participants? Because I imagine that sometimes you might have clashes of cultures between the university and the community. Mm-hmm. For example, consent forms, they're like 10 pages long with all these jargons, and, but then you need them to sign it, but they're like, hold on, what am I signing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need the social security number. We need oh, no, all of these policies. <laughs> So how have you been able to just balance all of that? What are some tips for budding and is, um, well, upcoming researchers, scientists like us? So I think one of the things is just always be upfront and, you know, upfront and um, open about what is going to 
going to happen during this research project. Um, you know, researching communities, especially communities of limited resources, um, we, I don't think we really understand how much of a burden what we're doing with research can be on the limited community. Mm. Even, you know, we think, well, it's, you know, it's just an hour of your time. Well, I've waited tables before. That's yeah. an hour I'm not getting paid. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done that. I mm -hmm. put myself through college doing that. So I, I know that that whole life and that whole, you know, you, you have to be careful with their time. Um, frankly, their knowledge and their expertise and not, and just be open and upfront about what you think might happen, even though we never know. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Being open and um, being transparent. And when changes happen or new policies come up, make sure you, um, you know, be very upfront about it. And I think even having some community advisory board members mm -hmm. within that community that can work with them and don't go there like, oh, I'm the expert. No, just flip the, the role. You are the expert. We're here to work together. I think that also helps. Um, now, this is a difficult question, I imagine. It's like saying, who's your favorite child or what's your favorite music? Now, I'm going to ask, you've had this abundance of experience in, you know, spanning three to four decades. What would you say are some of your most significant research or insights that have emerged from the work um, of, you know, whether your doctoral students and their published articles or even yours or presentations? What's that one moment where you felt like, this, this is a good time. I, I like, I want to sit in this moment. Yeah, this, that's a really good question. I've had one, um, you know, I've, I've only been doing this, I, I only been doing this for 17 years. That's a so long time, Dr. Cabo. there's a few around here, a, a number more than me. Yeah. Um, so I haven't had as many students as I would like to have, but I've had one recently who, who came to us with just, huge amount of experience with HIV, with HIV, with HPV, mm. HPV studies and cervical cancer work in the South Pacific. And you think, well, you're in the middle of Oklahoma. So. <laughs> Far away from the Pacific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a long plane ride. But he was able to come here. He worked with Cherokee Nation and he's produced, um, he, he graduated, oh gosh, when did he graduate? Last year, the year before? Oh, wow. And he's produced seven uh, seven manuscripts with Cherokee Nation, with um, on HPV, on different different. As a grad student, yeah. yeah. Man, why is he making all of us this look bad? Come on, who's the I, person? I need that number. Oh, they're overachiever, you. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. congrats. Yeah, exactly. And you know who you are. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's quite impressive. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh wow. Well, the other students coming in. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can do up to seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, this is probably going to be the last question when it comes to research. Yeah, can you share some moments, examples of grants or maybe contracts or cooperative agreements that you have collaborated on? And for someone like you that is really big on that transition to the impact, if you can highlight one, what was the most, what, was the, what were the main objectives and what was also the outcome of the project? So one project that I am really excited about that I'm it's it's still going on so I'm I'm fortunately very lucky to get to do it is as a, a project with the Southern Plains Tribal Health Board. Mm -hmm. They're they're the Tribal Epidemiology Center for the Oklahoma area, which is Oklahoma, Kansas, and Texas. Uh, so they have a project called Good Health and Wellness in Indian Country, and I I worked with the Southern Plains Tribal Health Board well since their inception which was, I don't know, 96 or 
Absolutely. Somewhere yeah. around in yeah. there. And I've always worked with them because they, they're just, um, they're a population. They serve a population in Oklahoma that um, doesn't get served otherwise, like small tribes that, that can um I know, can't yeah. apply for some of these grants. They just oh, don't have the population. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. That's, that's a really good way to look at it. Okay. And this particular project, which I helped um, helped them to write the grant, so I, I have a little bit of ownership into it. I'm, I'm one of my babies. Nice. <laughs> but it's a CDC-funded program. It's designed to, co- uh, to support coordinated holistic approaches to healthy living, chronic disease prevention, reinforcing the work already underway in Indian country. I mean, we have IHS facilities, we have NIH grants, we have all of this work already going on. Well, this project supports some of that work. Mm-hmm. And so it adds another, another yeah, sure. stream of funding, mm-hmm. another way to reinforce some of the things that are already going on. The purpose of the funding in Oklahoma, they provide uh, four tribal nations with large sums of money, large grants, mm-hmm. and then five, I believe five others with smaller grants. And so one of the things we're able to do is work with the community to the community gets to decide what the problem is. <gasps> yeah, wow, like a flipped research. Yeah. We have the money. Yeah. We're not coming with the research questions. Exactly. We have Someone the money. Does. Tell us yeah. how, how best can we serve you? Exactly. Imagine and if we did research that way. It's doable. I've done it. What kind of grant? <laughs> What's that funding mechanism called? It's a CDC. Wow. It's a, it's a special targeted one toward uh, tribal nations and toward uh, tribal epicenters that that mm-hmm. so how long has it been going for now the grant nine stuff? years wow mm-hmm. it was a multi-year multi-center multi-pi i imagine okay yes mm-hmm. and it's 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 a, i mean it's, it's a wonderful program it's something that um cdc is doing i don't see as much of that with nih which yeah. is unfortunate but but cdc yeah. is funding this and doing a, a fantastic job of keeping tribes engaged yeah okay Thank you for that. Um, I guess what I can tease out from your story so far is you talk about little decisions, but I think they're not quite little, Dr. <laughs> Campbell, but let's just call them little, just to stay, you know, in congruence with your terminology. But it's finding out what your life passion is and then seeing how you can keep giving back through that mechanism. I think just whatever you find in front of you, just keep doing them more because you never know what the next big break will come. And so thanks for that reminder. Now let's talk about mentoring. Um, So I imagine that you've had people who have put so much into you. um, Because, you know, you know how to say mentoring creates that ripple effect where of positive changes and as mentees go on to become even better mentors and they pay for it. Are you able to highlight, you don't have to name them in particular. If you want to name them, that's fine. But just your favorite mentors and why are they your favorite mentors? And I imagine that you implement some of their principles in your mentoring today. Well, I try to. So we have, um, I would say, one of my, well, I have two major academic mentors. um, And both of them are here at the College of Public Health. Um, One I would consider, and she's, I, I would consider a mentor toward everybody in our department. <laughs> she was fantastic. Is the late Julie Stoner. Oh, uh, yeah. I met her. She was great. She, May her soul rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. She, she was. Um, you know, she she really helped me because I came over from the state health department. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I, I, yeah. I did. As an anthropologist. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I don't mm-hmm. understand what. 
what's tenure again? <laughs> what is that? What is this tenure you speak of? <laughs> what are you talking about? So she um, she mentored me through that. She helped me to, um, you know, we, we came here. We were very fortunate. We taught our first class together when mm. she came. Um, and she was able to drag me into, <laughs> into academia and make me, pretty much understand what I was supposed to be doing, mm. which um, which is what you want a minute to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Showed you the rope. Yep. So what would you say has been the most rewarding aspect, you being on the other side now, of mentoring and guiding students? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. I, I think being on the other side, the things, there's, there's a couple of things I really like. Yeah. One of those is seeing, seeing successes. Um, you get to. I mean, I, I got to do that at the state health department as well. You get to see successes, but with students, you get to see the successes right in front of you. I mean, uh, they're the not knocked in down the growth, the road. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're right in front of you, mm. um, and seeing the students' successes, seeing the students um, understand. Or um, I teach a class called GIS and Health, and and one of the things I love about that class is seeing people be able to by the end of that class tell me what I'm doing wrong mm. in ArcGIS, mm. <laughs> which is phenomenal. So yeah. watching that sort of growth. And the other part of that is recognizing and, and being able to see the challenges and see the successes that can grow out of those challenges. Because um, again, I've had some students that have had some challenges. Um, and being able to see them and watch them grow out of those challenges. Um, and really become, again, a better person for that. You know what? I like that part. I don't think we, we don't. I don't think we talk about it enough. Um, I remember when I was in grad school, I had I had hit a stumbling block. I couldn't write anymore because I was going through some mental health issues. And I remember my advisor telling me, "There's nothing new I haven't seen before." You know, because as a student, you think it's the end of the world. And how words just brought me out of that funk. Like, you need to take care of yourself. It's okay. Take a break and you know, go take care of your health. And there's nothing I can talk to you about. I mean, just normalizing that process. And hearing you say, you know, just now about the successes coming out of the challenges. I think that's, that's really, um, that's normalizing a lot of the things. Because for grad students, it's just so much coming your way. <laughs> you expect it to be this high function individual. And if you have an additional layer of difficulty, like I did being an immigrant, you know, and all the things you have to adjust to, it's so difficult. But, your mentoring style, I think, is you know top notch, and so thank you, thank you for just saying that. Now, um, for students you work with, what skills you look out for, or even qualities do you watch out for in potential candidates, and how do you mentor and guide them through these challenges, or even you know the research process? So I'm, and and this is for better or worse, I'm a fairly hands off. I like to make sure that that they have the the resources. Um, which is often hard to do for graduate students yeah. to make sure they have the resources to succeed. Mm. Um, you know, I, I want to see them, for example, being able to do presentations nationally and, and being able to show their work. And um, when I work with tribal partners, having the tribal partners be able to show their work um, because that doesn't happen all that often. So, you know, one of the things, the essential skills that I look for I like to see somebody who can ask the right questions. <laughs> that's that's a key to research is asking the right questions and learning how to ask the right questions. But once you start with that, 
the rest of it is not easy, but easier. You know what? That's a very smart answer because you think you should be someone that knows all the right things, but asking the right questions, huh? So maybe to guys that's listen to this or, or postdoc, remember, you know, there are no stupid questions. You don't have to have all the right answers as long as you're able to ask the right questions. Oh wow, you're dropping a lot of truth bombs today, Dr. Kandal. Um, let's talk about um, quickly on this topic of research and mentoring. Can you share a memorable experience or a success story that deeply impacted you and reinforced your passion for community engagement or even addressing health disparities? One of the things that I would talk talk to students about, um, or would talk to anybody wanting to work yeah. with American Indian communities in particular, is you're you it just it just takes time it's like everything else it just takes time um there have been a history of of yeah. for lack of a better word bad actors yeah. people who have done inappropriate things and you know sometimes they don't even know they're doing inappropriate yeah. things yeah. It's just and yeah. it's just not being aware of how you behave it's not being aware of the culture that we have in academia which is a culture of I mean, it's fairly brutal. Our goal is to figure out what's wrong with your research. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, they clean up crew, crew on our five. <laughs> exactly. So Sometimes it costs more speed ups than clean up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so it, it, that can be really brutal. And we, we have to realize that our, um, our way of doing business in science isn't necessarily the way that a community That's does good. business. Yes, yes. That's true. So learning how to speak to a community in a in a respectful way and understand that you're you're ignorant. Yeah. You don't yeah. know. You know, I've been here my whole life. There's a lot of things I don't know in this day. <laughs> Thank you for that. So those are some of the key challenges. Now, um, let's talk about OSCR, which is, you know, one of the other leadership roles that you uh, are part of. Can you tell us about your role and why you got into um and then a main question to that would be, you are the co-director of the tracking and the evaluation core. What are some of the goals and objectives of that? Okay, so some of the goals. I, I will tell you what attracted me is, uh, to OSCTR um, uh, was, let's see, how do I say that? First of all, I had to know what OSCTR was. So um, there's a few things that we could do better in that. Yeah. Um, I think we know that. And this is one of them that is hopefully going to do that. We'll learn what OSCTR yeah. is and learn yeah. about um, what are the resources that it, it can provide. Um, I think once I learned about it, I, I discovered this is, this is what I do. I mean, I want to take science that we all are working very, very hard to, um, to do yeah. and bring it into the communities where it makes a, a difference in their lives. So some of our goals in tracking and evaluation, well, I, I would say we have we have three main goals. We have our first one, which is to strengthen and oversee, obviously, the execution of the internal tracking and evaluation for the short-term and long-term goals. That's mm -hmm. obviously the first thing we have to do. Um, our second goal is to use these data to, to monitor progress, to inform decision-making, to promote diversity, and to support improvements in clinical and translational research programs throughout OSCTR. Mm -hmm. Um, and our, our partner institutions and to strengthen those collaborations. So, you know, one of our main goals is to collaborate with other OSCTR mm -hmm. or even potential OSCTR um, people who are interested in pilot projects. It, it's, it's, it's 
still our goal to to collaborate and to work with other other partners. And finally, our goal is is our, our third goal is to share successes and broadly disseminate our efforts to promote peer learning, to identify and implement our best practices, and to document those challenges and lessons. So that's one of the things that we're doing right here. Right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's one of our visual, yeah. Thank you. Uh, as the co-director, I guess it's been how many years now? Um, I started right before COVID hit, so oh, yeah, you can't. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had never met anyone. I don't think I met you for two years. Yes, yes, yes. But well, we kind of saw each other. I saw yeah. your boss as well. I can recognize you from <laughs> your neck up. <laughs> So let's talk about GIS, which is, you know, Geographic Information Systems, which I think is sophisticated. I have a colleague, shout out to Dr. Wong, um, Dr. Kong, Amanda Kong. She does geography work as well. I imagine in Oklahoma, you have a field day because, you know, it's r- mostly rural and then because 30 miles north, <laughs> east, west, south, you're hitting exactly. bumblebees, tumblebees, weeds and all that. Um, how, do you, how does that play a crucial role in your research and evaluation work? And how do you specifically incorporate, you know, GIS, which is Geographic Information System, especially in the context of health? So GIS has some, has some really powerful tools for researchers and evaluators. It allows you to analyze, it allows you to visualize, and that's something that we don't get to do as often. I mean, to really visualize what we're seeing um, and, and to interpret spatial data. So what does GIS allow us to do? It, it allows us to conduct spatial analysis, uh, to look for patterns, to look for relationships, and to look for those relationships that are environmental, that are around us, not not just within us, so to speak, <laughs> like our genes or something like that. But what all of this stuff around us in this place we live, if we live in, a, in a, an area, in an environment that there are no parks, Mm-hmm. Um, then where are we going to go for leisure time activities? You know, if it's an urban area with no park, or if it's a rural area with no parks and dangerous roads, yeah. you know, yeah. how are you going to do that? So I think GIS allows us to look at that, um, you know, from a, a 20,000 foot, if you will, perspective on a map. Um, it's critical for our lives. It's critical for everything. I, I do want to talk a little bit about data visualization too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's... It, um, it's one of those things that seems very simple. It's make a pretty map, but making a pretty map can be, mean the difference in a, a legislator, for example, deciding whether your program makes or breaks. Mm. You know, he sees this map, she sees this map and goes, oh, 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 we have a problem in my area, don't we? Okay, I think I will, I think I will support this yeah, bill. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's an extreme visualization and being able to look at this map and see and explain what what it means. What a red shitted yeah. area means. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Red means bad. Yeah, red is bad. Are you from the red area? <laughs> Avoid the red. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I imagine you also have to have a good idea about geography to be able to love GIS, right? Um, a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it helps. Because I'm bad with Southeast South. Because when I was text- <laughs> when I texted you about your office, like, I'm in the Southeast corner. I'm like, okay, I don't do Southeast-West. I still think it's a scam somewhere. I just looked at the office number. I'm like, okay, I can get to the office number. So I don't think um, GIS is in the future for me because I cannot read maps and I don't know North, East, West, South. It's all very relative. Like when I stand here, it becomes North. But when I turn the other around, it becomes South. Like, tell me, make it make sense. 
All right, um, we're rounding up now, and I want to explore your future, um, and then then and then now. Now, throughout your career, you've probably faced several challenges, you know, I imagine, um, and maybe by virtue of you changing jobs, one, and maybe being female, or just, you know, so many things. Are you able to highlight some examples of the top ones and how you've been able to work around those challenges? And for people who might be listening to this, who might, you know, feed into other phases of those lives where you had those challenges, what are some encouraging words or even, you know, what's the wisdom you're able to impact on them? I'm sorry, you do. You're giving us little decisions, you know, um, false of isolation. Yeah. I said, there's plenty more where that came from, Dr. Campbell. So, you know, I haven't had any challenge. I, 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 I have been fortunate. I have had, um, for the most part, extremely understanding and, and really good bosses. And that helps a lot <laughs> when you have people who understand um, and. So I've, I've been very fortunate in that sense. But some of the challenges, um, I would say the one that I'm dealing with right now, I, my, my child is, is 40, so that's not an issue. Oh, wow. But dealing with having, um, he, he is a special needs child. Mm. And so dealing with that and then with aging parents and being caught right there in the middle mm. <laughs> and trying to keep a career going while you're trying to take care of both of the Oh, that must be hard. Yeah, that, that's a challenge. And I think a lot of women are, are in a similar you know, oh, wow. taking care of their kids oh, wow. at the same time that they're trying to, you know, and, you know, as they say, this is a truism, but it's definitely a truism is that, you know, you can work any 80 hours you want a week mm-hmm. when you're in academia. Thank you for that. Thank you. So it's just, I think the moral of the story is just keep it going and understanding your unique peculiarities and what that might limit you from doing or maybe enhance some of your abilities. But just actually acknowledging what you, you know, you have as well. Thank you. Now, um, what are the key areas, in your opinion, where further research and evaluation are needed to address some of the unique problems we have in Oklahoma, especially when it comes to improving health outcomes and reducing disparities, especially among underserved populations? So some of the unique challenges? Yeah. Where should we be putting our attention on both um, funders and those that are writing the grants? Those are like tips inside our training. <laughs> oh, <laughs> if I had a kid. <laughs> so what are the unique challenges in Oklahoma? I think, I think one of the things that I, when I got into cancer work, one of the things that I noticed was, we're, you know, Oklahoma is fairly average on our incidence cases of cancer. And, you know, we're in the 25th, uh, you know, around yeah. in that area. How many years ago was this? Always. We've, been, we've always been sort of <laughs> yeah. right in the middle. Yeah. But we're the third worst when it comes to cancer mortality. Mortality, I was about saying that. Yeah. 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 And that that right there speaks to sort of the challenges that I think we have in Oklahoma. You know, a lot of times in Epi, we look for something to compare. We have to have a comparison group. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that we do. And when you're when you're at some place like Oklahoma and you're the third worst to begin with, <laughs> the whole population. That wasn't the one. Is it Mississippi? <laughs> yes, that, that that is a public health truism. Thank God for Mississippi. Uh, oh, sorry about that. Sorry, I mean, no offense to any Mississippians who seems to do. You just always make us look good. That's why we like you guys. <laughs> Although we're starting to get that little monitor. Uh, Oklahoma, so, please. Yeah, <laughs> um, but that's, I mean, I think just living in a poor state, which 
again have limited resources. Yeah, yeah. Um, you just you just have to do what you can. Yeah, yeah. And even like tobacco use and alcohol as well, and things that might predispose one to cancer, mm-hmm. that can also add to the mortality rate the same. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're we're improving. We're getting so much better. We still are very bad when it comes to the rest of the yeah, United States yeah, when it comes yeah. to things like smoking rates. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's such a unique state. Um, now considering that we have you know emerging technologies, for example, you know. Um, hyper-intelligence with, you know, AIs and whatnot, and the landscape of the healthcare is also changing. How do you envision the future of research and evaluation in the field of health prevention and control programs? How do you envision that changing in the next few years? I don't, I think, I don't know that it's going to change as much as people think. I think AI is going to help with, with some of the simpler things that we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can we can ask Chat GP questions, yeah. and, and we'll generally get a pretty shallow. It's but bad at citations, <laughs> though. Oh yeah, it, Jim. I don't know. It does it so confidently. I'm like, where did you get this confidence for a drummed up fake citation? Bad, bad, bad. Wikipedia. Oh yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. So that I mean, I, I think I mean AI. I just don't think AI is going to be able to replace. I've, I've been working this week has been my article week so I've been yeah. working on articles all week yeah and I, I don't know how it, it would get back to the question again if we knew how to ask all the questions yeah then you know AIs would be phenomenal I know we right. don't know how to ask the, the right questions the right, right questions right. to get the answers yeah. that we're looking to yeah and looking for so I I think it's gonna it's gonna make it's going to make a difference. I think it'll make several things that we do a, a lot easier. If you can write a grant, I'm going to sign up for one. Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> write everything for me from and I can just minimally revise it. Be my reviewer number two as well. So for those that are developing AI stuff, those are my ideas, okay? Get back with me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think um, it has the propensity to change so many things. As long as we can embrace it and understand that it has, you know, the downside as well. And I've seen a lot of people panic about it. Oh, what if it replaces my job? Well, if my job is that replacement, maybe I should go find myself <laughs> doing something else. But I'm not trying to be insensitive here. Um, but I think it has a lot of merit for good, but also acknowledging the um, shortcomings, right? Okay. So let's get a little bit personal as a wind down. Outside of your professional practice, what activities or hobbies do you enjoy in your free time? And basically, how do you research? How do you re- recharge and take care of your well-being? So this is coming back full circle with the mm-hmm. self-care question. But what are some of your hobbies? So my my big hobby that I do, I've been doing for about ten years, is I um, I row. I so I row with a crew on the o- Oklahoma River. Yeah, right the, the, the rapids are, yeah. yeah, the the yeah the river out there. That and I've been doing that. That took yeah. a lot of muscle yeah, power. Exactly, like five a.m. rowing. No, I don't do it. I don't do five a.m. What do you go to? I do. I do late. I do okay. evening rowing. Are you a morning person, Dr. Kando? No. Okay, good. I always say I can <laughs> rise and shine, but not at the same time. No, no. Okay. No, I, yeah. Oh, that's a lot of cardio right there. It is, and, it, and wow. it's, but it's a barrel of fun, and it's also um, it allows you to get out of your mind. You have to think so much about the technical. You know the technical and the teamwork as well, and being yeah, you know yeah. in tune with exactly yeah. your, your seven other yeah, people. crewmates. Yeah. Um, so that is something that I use to recharge, get my my myself out of my head, oh. if you will. 
That's a that's, neat hobby. Has a boat ever like capsized before? Not on me. Okay. I have seen it, but and <laughs> but everybody made that alive. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So you have to be a good swimmer to be able to do that. Do they require it, that? It, they they actually don't. You can wear a life vest if you like. Do they allow? Do they mandate it, or is just optional? It's just optional. You mm. you uh, well, if you if you do a swim test, then you don't have to wear a, oh, a life jacket. Oh, I Because it can prove that you yeah, swim. You can I see. Well, are you guys you guys do competitions or is this? We do. We do a couple a year. Um, mm. We have one coming up. Yeah. Why are you competing with? Like uh, um, we have other corporate teams. Uh, oh, are you for the OU team? I, we don't have one anymore. You we feel? used to have one. Uh, I, I actually row with the Oklahomans. Oh. <laughs> well, hey, it's so Oklahoma. So yeah, 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 it's Oklahoma. And, and I've rowed with them for about three, four years. So. Okay. I have I have two more questions. And we're done. If you have a superpower for a day, what would it be and how would you use it? Um, I have... I have been thinking about that. What would I do? I I I don't know. I would love to make the world fair. If I could just make the world fair, how's that gonna work? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and people would actually get what they deserve <laughs> rather than what they just enough. Yeah, but not exactly. too much. Exactly. They would get. I, I would just love to see making the world fair more. Yeah, fairness in the world. That's but. a that's a noble quest. I don't know how it's gonna work. I don't know how it's gonna yeah. work either. The yeah. only thing I could think of that a superpower would be. That's a smart answer. Usually I would hear, oh, for me, telekinesis, <laughs> being able to travel and fly. <laughs> Flying would be fun, but I don't think it would help the world. So Thank much. you for that. Um, finally, we have such a beautiful campus. I didn't tell you about this question beforehand. Will be, what's your favorite spot on campus? Oh, and on why? campus? Yeah. Mm, I actually like the area, you know, where bird library is uh-huh. and where you can go in on the basement yeah, yeah. down below yeah i love that area that garden yes, back there yes yes that yes, yes. that has the fountain and all that mm-hmm, that's, yep. yeah, yeah 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 that that is the most the times i've been there the fountains have been you know on downtime because of you know weather winter time yep. but it looks so beautiful you yep. just sit out there and hang out just, yep. you know. there's there's seats underneath that you don't even yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's very yeah. quiet. Okay, okay. Even beautiful. They do we'll call it the, the Pocambo spot. <laughs> well, this has really been nice chatting with you. I yeah. I just cannot thank you enough. I've learned so much from you. You talked about little decisions, um, force of isolation, and um, also the power of just going forward and not being afraid to take up a challenge. You came from the State Department of Health, was there for a whole career, 17 years. <laughs> You're like, you know what, let me just up the ante a little bit. I might just, you know, come into academia, which is a totally different beast. But here you are killing it. And that's why all the things you have to juggle with, your home life, and you, you're doing it well. And thanks for that reminder of just, you know, going after your dreams. I also learned from you the um, propensity to ask the right questions. Like we live in a world where we value being smart and saying the right things. But sometimes it's better to be able to ask the right questions. So thanks for that. Um, yeah. Just want to say thank you for coming on the show today. Well, thank you. How do for you feel? Me. I know you're a little bit like, oh my gosh, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. How 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 do you I, feel now? That's good, good. Okay. okay. Very good. Well, everyone, that was the podcast with um, Dr. Campbell. Don't forget to check us out on Podbean. That's the official app for the podcast, and also our email address, which is G R O K L A H O M A podcast at gmail.com and it's also at ouhsd.edu so that's the Oklahoma podcast at, at gmail.com and the Oklahoma podcast at ouhsd.edu we're also on Instagram as the as Oklahoma podcast that's such a mouthful <laughs>
in any event this has been a production from the OSCTR tracking and evaluation course catch you on another episode of the Broker Homer podcast show I remain your host um, Dr. Busaya bye for now yay